0: Amen. We'll dismiss the boys and girls to junior church and their classes, and so boys and girls, you guys can go there if you're not already on your way, and I'm thankful for those that do serve in those areas. Thank you for being here again. I know that a lot of people, it's like a, it's like a rotating door. Some people can come this week, but not next week. Some people got sick last week, but are better this week, and some people are sick this week. that weren't last week, and so it's kind of those revolving doors where we see you every couple of weeks, it seems, uh, but thank you for being here um, nonetheless, and keep on keeping on. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Deuteronomy chapter number six this morning. Deuteronomy chapter six, one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach from, and you can preach all kinds of different applications from this passage, and um, I love that in that regard. What I want to put in your mind this morning um, is leaving a legacy, and I want you to leave a legacy in two different areas. We want to, I want to make application in two different areas this morning. Number one would be your family. Now some of you, you may be the first one saved in your family. You are a first generation Christian. It means you didn't grow up in a Christian home and sometime uh, during your life you got saved and you're trying to figure out how to raise children that way. You're trying to figure out how to live as a Christian family. You're trying to figure out what that's like for the first time in your family or at least the first time in your immediate family. Uh, some of you have been saved multiple generations, meaning that you were saved, your parents were saved, your grandparents were saved and so forth. There's a good mixture of that. And so, if you're a first generation Christian, I want to challenge you and equip you today of leaving that legacy for your family. Being able to pass that baton on to the next uh, portion that comes on after you that they might have a multiple generation family. If you're part of a multi generational saved family, then I want you to keep that going. I want you to keep on keeping on with that. I want you to pass the baton that was passed to you, pass the torch. That was once passed to you the second application i want us to make today is in the area of of make leaving a legacy for our area and our region and northeast used to be a haven for churches the northeast was the place of the first great awakening a revival Uh, all the churches for the most part and the preachers came out of the northeast if you do a search of revival history and, and church history, you'll find it chock-rich. And You might say, well, that's where the country started. I get it, but I'm just telling you, this once was a place where churches thrived and, and God worked. Now they often call the Northeast the graveyard of churches or the graveyard of preachers. This is where churches go to die. This is where preachers go to quit. Things of that nature. But I want us to leave a legacy no matter how difficult it is, no matter how rare it is in our area compared to other regions, or other time periods, I want us to leave uh, um, a legacy there. And I want to tell you, both of them are connected. As we leave a legacy in our families, as we reach our families, it will directly correlate to the strength of our churches. As our churches get stronger, more churches start from that, which means more new spiritual heritage comes from that. So they're all correlated in that. So I'm giving you the preview of what's to come. We're going to open up in prayer, and then we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 in just a few moments. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to be here, and Father, you do the work. We just show up. And Father, we ask that whatever may be stopping you from working in our lives, Father, would put aside, that we confess our sins, that we would put our idols aside and we would smash them. Father, that our heart would be dedicated, devoted to you. Father, we'd be focused on you. But Lord, we need your power. We need your presence to be here and that we're so thankful that you've been showing up, and we're so thankful for your presence, we're so thankful for your hand moving. And Lord, we just pray now that you would just show forth clearly through the Holy Spirit the applications and the, and the understanding of the Scripture, Lord, that we may be closer to you and better than we were before. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love using the example of the pioneers to keep reminding our church and to remind you as well of what it used to be. I've not been to California, but one time on a layover, but I have enough media to see pictures and watch movies and videos that all have to do with California. I've been to Washington state plenty of times. I've been to Arizona. I've been to the West coast a lot, but I've never sunk my teeth into like, let's say Los Angeles or Hollywood or, or, uh, San Francisco or any of those big time cities on that way. But I'll tell you this, it didn't always look like that. Like, long before the West Coast was, had all the glitz and glam and all of that, it was a desolate wasteland. And what would happen in the pioneer days is that people would leave the east, of the overcrowded east, and head on west, Like right? If you ever were younger, you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you may have played the Oregon Trail on the computer. Green and black, black and green screen, and, and you died of, of dysentery or something along the way, or you got robbed by some uh muggers or something they weren't probably called muggers there but uh you know some uh tribe gotcha um but that was all kind of the story of westward expansion and one of my I, one of my thoughts about the pioneer days is i love the idea that they went and they homesteaded, right? They went on land. They suffered on that land. And those parents would have ha, had no resources of a village or a town or a trading post. They had to be their farm off the land, raise their children amidst storms, trying to figure out how to build shelter themselves and try to uh, uh, ward off wild animals, tribes, uh, other people in that safety. And they kept on keeping on, no matter how difficult it was, that they would give a better something to the next generation you understand that like they went west they could have stayed east they could have stayed in their towns they could have stayed in the comfort they could have stayed in what was easy and convenient they could have stayed that but they went westward because they believed uh, either in destiny or they believed in fate they they believed god was leading them whatever it was that they believed that they went there for an opportunity and they suffered day in and day out for years and years and years and years and may never have ever tasted of what was to come, but they did it that the next generation could do it. And what I want you to think about now in preview is the idea that though the Northeast was a spiritual rich heritage of churches and of revival, it no longer is. And it may not look like the South. If you were to go down South right now, And you were to look at some of the churches down there, and you were to look at the culture down there, and you were to look at, uh, or you were to go back some years, even in like the 70s and the 80s even in some regard, and you see Christianity kind of of flourishing, even go back even further, see it flourishing in many ways, and you look around now and we say, man, we don't have that. And in the day and age in which we live in, it's not a friend to Christianity, seemingly. And there are a lot of things that, that, are, that could be threatening or could seem scary in the area of Christianity mixed in with this world. And what I'm telling you is even though this may not be the time of revival, maybe it will be, but right now it's not the time of revival and churches are shutting their door, I want to challenge you to keep on keeping on no matter how much a struggle, even if we never get to see the reward, Because what we're doing is paving the way for the next generation. And what I want you to see today is paving the way and how to pave the way. Pave the way for this church and these churches, whatever that might look like, to go on for 200 more years to keep on keeping on. And also to pave the way for your family. Though you're a first-generation Christian perhaps, to have a spiritual rich heritage that that your great-grandchildren may still be serving the lord long after you're gone and so on and so forth but we have to pave the way and paving the way is often very difficult because you have to sacrifice at times when you want to give up you have to put in the work of a reward you may never fully see on this earth, to pioneer, to struggle, to keep on keeping on, that the next generation or the generation after that may have exactly what we all desire or would want to have. A few times, um, our youth group has gone up to Mount Washington up in New Hampshire and hiked up Mount Washington, and I haven't done it in a few years, I'm getting the itch to go back on up. Um, eventually, and, and and you, you know, maybe some of you like climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, or uh, maybe climbed Mount Everest, or something. But Mount Washington is the highest mountain I've ever hiked. I'm not climbing anything. Don't don't visualize me with rappelling ropes and stuff. That's not how it was. But it was a, a pretty intense hike. And uh, I think it, for one of the journeys, it took us five hours to get up and four hours to get down. And just it's the tallest mountain in the in the Northeast and um it's above the alpine line and so when you get up there there's no trees or anything you're out in the sun and it's and it's and it's listed as home of the world's worst weather and you can look that up and fact check me that's what it's called and you can look up as to why but i remember hiking and we we hiked about 10 miles of it and and it was and we took a longer path one particular time and it was rugged and it was rough and it was difficult one of the thoughts I, i as i was hiking it we saw these markers And we saw even as they, I don't remember what they're called, one of you experts will be able to remind me after service, but they would stack the rocks up and let you know this is the right way to go. And one of the thoughts I had in my mind is the first someone had to hike this trail. The first group of some people had to hike this trail, and and someone had to do it again, and someone had to do it again. And someone had to put the markers on there to be able to find the way. I could tell you another time about two teenagers weren't with us, they were with our group, but they weren't from our church. But they got lost. And the night came. And I had to hike the back up the mountain in the dark looking for them. That's a true story, but I'll tell you that another time. But when I was hiking this mountain, when our youth group was, there were markers. Okay, this is the green trail, this is the red trail, this is the yellow trail. But somebody had to first do it. On Long Island and in the northeast, it's almost like we're doing it for the first time again. It's almost like somebody's got to stick their heel in the ground and and repave that which was paved over, repave the rut that we need to get in. I don't mean in a bad way, but we need to repave what it looks like to serve God. We need to repave what church looks like. We need to repave spiritual heritage in our families to be able to do that. So somebody's got to be the first somebody to go. And it's real easy for us to be tempted to go off to something that's more glamorous or more bright or or more wonderful in our mind. But you've got to keep on keeping on. Uh, I'll tell you both churches, I mean, it looks pretty full for a COVID weekend when we got both churches here. But there are times, and you can remember this, where there weren't a lot of people in either congregation at different times over the last few years. And it's real easy for someone to say, well, I'm not going there because no one goes there. It's almost like a Yogi Beraism. No one goes there because no one goes there. Right? And people say, well, I'm going to go find something else. I want to go somewhere else. And I always remind them, stay here because if you go somewhere because there's nobody else here, then the next person coming, looking for someone, leaves too because they didn't find anybody else here too. But if you would stick it out, then they come, they have at least you to see. And that mentality say, you know what, it's not about me. It's about what, where the Lord would call me, and there where I'm called, I'll pave the way. Even if it's struggling, even if it's not like what I see here or there or what it used to be. We can't get time back. We can't be where God's not called us to be. We don't want to be there. We want to be where we are, and we want to pave the way. Same thing. You might look at another family and say, man, I don't know how they did it. They, they have, they're serving God like this, and look, they're singing songs together, and they're traveling the country together, and they're doing all these different missions trips and stuff like that. I don't know if we'll ever get there. I don't know if you'll ever get there either, but if you'll pave the way, maybe that vision of what you have for your spiritual family to be if you pave the way, maybe your children will be able to raise their children in that capacity. It's not always about what we have right now in our generation. It's about also what's to come. Don't be short-minded about what's in the, the small uh, vapor of your life. It's about paving the way for the next one to come. Here as we come to um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have some similar, similar situation. These people aren't newbies. They, they know God. They've been walking with God for some time. They were enslaved in Egypt for, for quite some time, and God brought them out of that through the miracle of the Exodus and the, and the plagues. And, and probably many of you know that story. We just finished 1st, 2nd Kings on Sunday night. Well, when we're in 1 and 2 Kings, especially 1 Kings under Solomon, the temple's built. It is the most magnificent place that, that anyone ever seen had ever seen. The Queen of Sheba had come just to watch the processional of the people to go in. Uh, Dignitaries and kings and queens came to ask Solomon all about his wisdom. And at that time, Israel was the premier place in all the world. And people had come just to look at the magnificence of Solomon's temple. But where we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we absolutely are not there. I mean, we're walking around in Deuteronomy 6, we're walking around for 40 years In a way where God's got to keep their shoes from rotting, otherwise they ain't going to get there. I mean, they had to walk 40, and there was no Foot Locker or Amazon order sneakers or shoes on. God kept their shoes in the right spot, right, not to rot away. Israel was about to go to the promised land. And and the group that made it into the promised land was going to have to be a pioneer group. They're going to have to pave the way for the generations to come. They were going to have to suffer. They were going to have to um, see the blessings of God, but they weren't going to be able to see the nation that would eventually come. They would have to see God's hand in the individual without the gland. And God knew that if the nation of Israel was ever going to become the great nation he desired it to be, they were going to have to do some things to pave the way. It was going to take a pioneering spirit of self-sacrifice and a pioneering spirit of faithfulness. And many of those people were going to die long before they ever saw it built. And that's the same with you and I. Through the inspiration of God, Moses tells the nation what it's going to take to pave the way for the generations to come, what it was going to take to occupy the promised land, and what it was going to take to start and establish his people, his nation there, God's nation, and what it was going to take and hear this part, to pass that on. See, there's two things. You've got to pave the way, but then you've got to pass that on to the next generation. If you pave away way and you pioneer, and then the next generation comes and burns down the homestead, then it was in naught. You've got to work, sacrifice to pave the way, and the next generation's got to see the same desire and the same need that God has for them and do it even more and go a little bit further in our families i i don't know if if this is your desire i hope and my desire is that my children will love god more than i did just go a little bit further than i do i want them to serve god a little bit more than i serve god a little bit more fervent a little more faithful a little bit more collected a little bit more honoring to god than i have and i hope their children go a little bit further but you know what we're seeing the opposite in our, in our day and age, we see a lot of parents want to go to the Lord and then their, their children just go a little bit less. And then their children go a little bit less than that. And I'm being, I'm being um, kind of conservative here with these statistics because it's probably a lot less and a lot less until the flame goes out. We want to start the flame. I mean, think about that, right? You're on the Pioneer uh, front, Western frontier and you got to start fire if that goes out you're in trouble you got to start fire again and i'm talking rocks and sticks and you know flint whatever you got to do you don't got a lighter i remember we went to the uh at the bonfire fellowship i uh, i couldn't find a lighter at the church so i said david can you go to the dollar store and get a lighter and he went to the dollar store and get a lighter i had to do this kind of nonsense out there in the wind you got to do this and if that fire goes out well, you better start it again and if you don't teach your kids how to start that fire they ain't gonna make it it's those type of mindset. That the Israelites were going to have to have. Now, Moses knows he's not going to be able to get in the promised land. God's already told him that. Hey, Moses, you didn't do this right, and, and, and you didn't trust me in this area. And I brought you this. And Moses can be 120 years old. And before we say, oh, poor Moses, hey, when Moses dies, he goes up to the greatest promised land there is. He goes up to heaven. He didn't miss out on much. But he's going to lead them there. And so he's telling them: hey, friends, hey, Israelites, when you go into the promised land, I need you to remember these things that you will pave the way because it is not going to be easy. On Thursday night, we preached from Luke chapter number eight. And one of the things that we emphasized was that if it were faith, I mean, if it were easy, it wouldn't be a faith. Faith is sometimes very, very, very difficult. And God said, I'm going to go to this promised land. And by the way, when you get there, there's going to be enemies, and there's going to be walls, and there's going to be fighting, and your children are going to want to, want to run away from doing the right things. And you've got to keep on keeping on, even when you don't want to. Friend, it's the same thing right now. If you give up now, there won't be that legacy in your family. If you give up now, there won't be that legacy and that pioneer up here on Long Island. If you give up now, there might not be a legacy up in the Northeast or in America. We want to keep on keep it on, even if the trend looks reversed. I don't know about all of them, but I know you and I, we're going to keep that fire going. We're going to keep on keeping on. That's what we want to look at today. So we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want to remind you, Uh, I think it is a lot of them. I think I have like eight uh, things to pave the way. Eight things to be reminded of. Yeah, eight areas. In order for our families to be reached, in order for our families to stay faithful, in order for us to pave the way for our families, and in order for us to pave the way for our area as a church, then we must be reminded of these eight areas. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now I know you know this passage, or at least some of you do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightst fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with thee, and that it may increase mightily, as the Lord God of the fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. So he says this, listen, what what you're about to hear, I want you to listen to, I want you to obey in doing it, and I want you to make sure your son does it, and I want you to make sure your son's son does it. Now here's the best way to get your son's son to do it. Get your son to do it and love doing it, and then he'll get his son to do it. So here it is. Number one, stay faithful in your affection. Stay faithful in your affection. Look at what it says in verse number five again. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. In chapter five, Moses just rehashed the Ten Commandments reminding them that the commandments were going to be a very important part of the national living, of Israel's living in the promised land, and they're surviving to pave the way. But then here he gives us the greatest commandment. When later on the, the scoffers and the, and the scholars of the day wanted to ask Jesus to try to catch him in his words, which is the greatest commandment, this is the verse that he quoted. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. That if they were going to make it into the promised land, and, and if they were going to pave the way for the next generation, and if, more importantly, they were going to pass down a more spiritually mature nation, the first thing they were going to have to do was fall in love with God in every aspect of their lives. Do you understand that? If you are doing this, and you, what you're doing right now, you're in church, and you bring your kids to church, and you talk about God at home, but you don't love God, you're just playing church. It's a charade. It's a religious doing. It's just routine. And I'm not saying it's a bad routine or a bad, uh, a, a bad ritual, but I'm telling you this, everything must spring from this. Your kids and your home, we know this. Our kids see through us. They know what goes on, what really goes on behind closed doors. The Lord's not impressed with how we behave at church, how we put on a front, how we put on a smile, what tie we pick out, what dress we might wear, God's not impressed by those things if there is no heart from him. He has said said in the Bible, with your lips you do praise me, but your heart is far from me. Friend, we must stay faithful in our affection. Now, I understand none of us are going to love the Lord the way we ought to. We're going to fail in those areas. But you know very well in your heart whether or not you're even striving to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and might. And you are mistaken if you think that you're going to make a difference in this community, in this area, or in your family or your home if you're doing church but you don't love Jesus and you don't love God. I'd rather you love God and not know what to do than know exactly what to do and do it but not love God. Because if you love God, everything will pour from that. It'll fall in its place. But if you're just doing, then you're just playing religion. And there's no legacy there that honors God. We know this. The Bible says all our righteousness are as filthy rags. It's not impressive. In their heart, in their soul, they were going to have to love God. They were going to have to teach their children to love God. And again, if we want to reach this area first thing we think about is not well what's the program we're going to use what's the method we'll use no 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 no. (laughs) let's work on us and our love for god how much do you love jesus let let me give me example if you don't love jesus then reading the bible is annoying it's a chore if you don't love your spouse, talking to them is annoying and a chore. If you don't love your children, listening to them is annoying and a chore. I remember in college I went to a strict Christian college. And at the strict Christian college, they had, you know, there was no like physical touch between guys and girls and and there was no alone dates allowed. Um, You had to go with a chaperone or in groups. But they had a room upstairs uh, that everybody nicknamed the dating parlor. And the dating parlor was where all the couples would sit three and a half inches from each other like this. And they would sit like this for hours, hours. And you would think, what are you talking about? You know what? Now I understand a lot of it's that infatuation. I understand a lot of it's that puppy love. But they were falling in love, and as they were falling in love—or what their version of falling in love was—there was lots of time spent, and they couldn't get enough of each other. Then when you—it it was 11 o'clock, and when I go back to their dorms, and here comes security guys. Okay, guys, and it was—it was, it was like—it was like prying like metal apart. Okay, you gotta go. They weren't touching. But they were like engaged. Um, when am I going to talk to you again? How about in three hours at breakfast? Okay, How about that? In a couple hours. You can go sit with breakfast together. <sighs> I don't want to say goodnight. I know. It's so romantic. Now go. Right? But they were falling in love. Is that how we are with God? This is us. How long, much longer do I have to listen to this? How many more verses do I have to read? I have to go to church again? That doesn't change families. That doesn't change communities. Uh-oh. right. I know it hurts because it's true. But it's also true for me too, so don't think for a second that this is not like a, a smack in my face to say, hey, hey, buddy. Understand this about preachers. I don't know about anyone else, but when I preach, I'm a hypocrite 95% of the time. Not a, I don't mean hypocrite like I'm trying to deceive you. I'm saying, oh, me too. I just mean I'm convicted also. So don't think like I come up here and I'm telling all of you guys how to live and I know how. No, I'm like, oh, so I'm the same way. So That's what I mean by being a hypocrite. Don't quote me, say he's a hypocrite. No, that's what I meant by that. If we want to make a difference, our family's got to see that we really love God. Before we tell them, you got to love God. And our church got to see that we love God before we tell them they love, we got to love God and our community doesn't care if our love for our God is, is disingenuous, not authentic. And like David said before, Lord, forgive us when we have idols in our heart. Why? Because our affection often wanes. It goes all over the place. It goes all over that we love all kinds of things that are not God or godly. All of us. And this is a reminder. He says, listen, love the Lord thy God. We fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We're not turning there, but if we were to, and Revelation 2 and 3, and we'd see those letters to the seven churches, the one that sticks out to me the most prominently, at least as I'm thinking about this, is the church of Ephesus, where Jesus says, or and John writes, but Jesus says to them in the letter, hey, you're doing all the right work, you have the right doctrine, you're doing the right thing, but I have someone against thee. You left your first love. And he says, basically, return to your first love, or I'm removing the candlestick out of your midst. And I believe that that candlestick is that right to be a church. Hey, listen, as my hand of blessing is upon you, you can do all the right things, but if you don't have an affection or a heart for me, I'm taking it out. And that goes back to this. Moses says, hey, listen, when you go to the promised land, here's number one. Make sure you're faithful in your love. Make sure you're faithful in your affections. Stay faithful in that area. Make sure you love God most. And make sure you teach your children how to love God most. Hey, listen. We know how to teach our kids how to love things. Last night, I watched the Buffalo Bills play football. Why? Because I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and they beat the Patriots. And I was going to say, I'm going to find a way to mention that in the service. I just found a way. You know who was right next to me? Josiah, my son, watching it. You know why he loved that? Because I love it. I, 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 it. was not hard to teach him how to be a Bills fan, even though one of the ladies in our church keeps giving him Bronco jerseys. He can like the Broncos a couple years ago when Peyton Manning was on the team. They won a Super Bowl, but now he's a Bills fan. Okay, We know how to teach that. You know how to teach them how to love you. You love hunting, you know how to teach them how to love hunting. You love music, you know how to teach them how to love music. You love whatever your hobby is, whatever you're doing is, you know how to teach them how to love that. But then when it comes to God, we're like, oh don't know. No, no, you know how. But you got to love first. They love what you love, if you love them rightly. So stay faithful in your affection. Number two, you've got to stay faithful in your teaching. Look at verse 6 again. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So where does it start? In your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be the frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. He says, guess what? I want you to teach them all about me and about loving me and about how to follow me. You need to teach them. And look at kind of the extreme nature. you got to talk. When they, when they go to bed, you talk about it. When they wake up, you talk about it. When you, uh, you know, go out and about, I mean, you write it on your hands. Uh, you put it right here in front of your face. You put it on the sign going in your house. You put it on the sign leaving your house. Now, let me, let me get this out the way. If you do that, but you don't genuinely love God, and you don't genuinely love your children and have a relationship with them, that's going to seem like forced, bang-over-your-head religion, and it's going to push them away. Shove it down their throat, and they'll hate it. But you know what? Like for Josiah and I, if we talk about baseball, he could literally talk about baseball for hours. I could sit down with him and give him whatever tips I might know for hours, and he'll listen. Why? Because that's something he knows I love, and it's something he loves, and it's something we love together, and it's not forcing anymore. You love God, and you love your children You by relationship, right? Rules without relationship equal rebellion. And so if you have rules, and, and you want to be at church, and you love them, that's going to be a lot easier, more palatable. And if they know that you really love God, they at least say, well, I know my parents love God. And, and even if they don't quite get it yet, because you're training them to, they're going to be okay with it but when they see the hypocrisy like blah, blah 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 you're going to sound like the teacher in the old peanuts going wah 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 and they're going to despise it Now i don't want to go to church i don't want to do that because you don't love god in their mind they're thinking and so teaching them has to spring from god but with that being said you're going to have to teach them you can't be like well one day they'll wake up and know everything about god and then they will they'll love god no no whose job is the tra- let me also put this out of the way whose job is it to train your family not the school you not the church you as a body we come together to serve god and we equip each other we sharpen each other but it's not the church's job to raise your children it's your job as parents to get equipping from the Lord and from the scriptures and even in the church and pass that down. But you got to be deliberate and diligent and stay faithful in your teaching. We do a great job of teaching our kids a lot of things. Maybe you, maybe in your house you have great manners and and everybody knows what etiquette fork to use and children sit there like this. I don't know. Maybe you you taught them how to brush their teeth right. Maybe you taught them this little old, uh, you know, Old wives' tale of doing things and they got this secret recipe or this secret home remedy or something. You taught them that. Maybe you taught them how to teach a musical instrument or foreign language. You taught them how to work diligently and you're real emphasizing. Hey, listen, you got to do your schoolwork. you got to do your schoolwork. You're good at those things. But we have to be deliberate in teaching them the Scriptures. Diligently and deliberately teaching them the Word of God. To stay faithful in that. That they might hear it. They might know about it. And you saw it. They talk about it when they're out and about. They talk about it at bedtime. They talk about it in the morning. It's natural. It flows. It's not fanatical. It just naturally flows. And it, it, it extremely means this. If the only time your children hear about God is at church, you're going to be in trouble. Because if they go to public school, they're here in, what Avadi what Bachman says, you can't expect them to go to education by Caesar and not come out Romans. They're going to be there hours and hours and hours a day. And if not public school, this. How many hours a day are our kids on this? And I promise you they're not reading the Bible the whole time. That means they're getting an education somewhere. And I'm not saying rip the device out of your kids' hands. What I am saying, though, is how much more urgent do we need to be and more deliberate and more diligent in teaching them the scriptures when we have to compete with that and we have to compete with the schools and, and, the, and the streaming services and all the other things that vie for our kids' attention. We have to be deliberate in teaching them or they're not. we're not going to pave the way for anything. You understand this? We're not talking, uh, well, let's just try. This is urgent, friend. Because there's another generation that's going to come after us. Will there be a church open when the next generation comes and we fade off into eternity? Will there be your great-grandchildren still going to church and serving God, whether it's underground or maybe at a thriving revival-type atmosphere? I don't know. But will they still be? And I don't know, and you don't know. But we need to put ourselves in the path to make the Lord you or allow the Lord to use us in that way to pass down that baton. So we must, must, Be faithful in our teaching. That means a little bit about you knowing what the Lord says. If you don't know what the, I don't know how to teach anything with the Lord, well, then read the Bible together. You don't have to be a Ph.D. in apologetics to be able to talk to your children about the Lord. You don't need to have been saved for 25,000 years to get saved. That was hyperbole in case you're wondering. Um, You just share what's on your heart. Go Go to the church. Talk about the message together. Or maybe God pointed something else out in the scripture reading. Maybe somebody said something to you when they got a bagel and you say, Hey man, that was impacting my heart. Go home and share it with them. Teach them those things. Teach them. But love it first. And then let that pour out. Teach them. Pass it down. So you must stay faithful in your affections, you must stay faithful in your teaching. You must stay faithful in your trust. Number three, faithful in your trust. Let let me explain what I mean. Look at verse number 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyard and olive trees which thou plantest not, When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Here's what he says there. You're going to go there. What you're used to right now, what you're used to is being enslaved and wandering in the wilderness. That's your whole life. Do you realize that? If they were, uh, let's say, about the time they got there, they could be upwards of about 59 years old. Because you remember the ones that were under 20 died in the wilderness. So, though, 40 years. So maybe he was 19. Maybe he's old. Some of the oldest guys getting in there, about 59 years old. In their 59 years, all they know is 40 years wandering around the peninsula and 19 years enslaved. That's all they know. And then you're going to get in the promised land. And guess what? There's going to be cities that you're going to make your jaw drop. You didn't build them. There's going to be food that flows with milk and honey. I mean, it's going to be a place of blessing. You didn't do it. There's going to be vineyards waiting there for you. You didn't plant them. There's going to be wells to drink them. You're not going to have to worry about where water is coming from. You didn't dig them. And it's going to be real easy, real easy to get on your high horse and be like, we did this. It's going to get real easy to, to start trusting in yourself. It's going to get real easy to start trusting in your provision. It's going to get real easy to start saying, look what I've accomplished. God says, no, 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 beware. Lest you forget who gave this to you. Unless unless you forget who you're trusting on a daily basis. You know what the Lord's Prayer, remember the model prayer? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, our Father which art in heaven. Which, by the way, is not something that we have to recite. It's, it's, It's a model prayer, but beside the point. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, when's the last time you and I prayed, not thank God for our daily bread, But pray, God provide today for our daily bread. Now, you go home to my house right now. They got food in there. My kids said we got nothing to eat, and I'm like, you know what? Come to my house. When I was a kid, I'll show you. Sometimes nothing to eat. Right now, you got stuff that you don't like it, but there's stuff to eat. I don't remember the last time I had to pray. God, please provide for food. I mean, you know what we. We may have prayed, like, Lord, please provide for toilet paper during the quarantine. Or, Lord, please provide for, like, you know, milk or something. I'm just kind of kidding. We didn't even struggle with that. But we we are so blessed in our country that we forget to trust God daily. The blessings take away our trust sometimes. Or put it on us instead. Or we just take it for granted. And, And Moses says, hey, when you get into the promised land... You better teach them how to trust me because it's not always going to flow with milk and honey. Right now, on Sunday nights, we're in the book of Daniel, and all of those milk and honey people, I mean, maybe you know, a thousand years later, um, were ripped out of there, and now they're in captivity in Babylon, a foreign land. And they have no, nothing to do but trust the Lord. They had to learn that then so they can apply it now. We must it's not always going to be like this, right? We don't know. We look at our economy, we don't know if the dollar is going to fail and drop one day soon. We don't know if socialism is going to come in and what that might look like. We don't know all those things. I'm not don't don't hear me predict anything or 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 paint peril situations. All I'm saying is we need to trust teach our kids how to trust the Lord in everything. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Because one day they may not be able to take it for granted the way we do. And so they're going to have to pave the way. You know how we paved the way? Lord, we're going to just trust you. I was very th- very thankful, in a bizarre way, but a, a spiritual way, when my landlord, I lived in the house 14 years, and our landlord wrote a letter and said, okay, you're going to have to move now. And I looked at the prices, right, during quarantine of houses. And I looked at the size of my family, 8 And I looked at my income, and I thought, I wouldn't be able to rob a bank and be able to do it. So guess what I had to do? Trust the Lord. Which is good for me, even better for my kids. My kids need to see, Dad, where are we going to move? Don't know. Next week, Dad, where are we going to move? Dad, well, where are we going to move? I don't know. Do You think we're going to move somewhere out of state? Maybe. Different country? Probably not, but maybe. You think we're going to move on Long Island? Maybe. So we would joke. We'd drive by like, someone's house and be broken down shed. I'm like, there it is, guys. That's what we can afford. You know my kids out of see for an entire year and a half. Maybe. We don't know where to go long story short the lord put us in a house for now my kids got to see when you trust the lord he takes care sometimes it's hard sometimes it's long sometimes it it looks like job's life right sometimes it's way worse than any circumstance i've ever faced but what we must do is stay faithful in our trust we're not trusting in our abilities we're not trusting in our cleverness we're not trusting in our provision Think about that. Now you, you hone down and you start to evaluate. You start to take self-inventory. How much of your daily needs are you trusting in yourself and your job and your provision? Now, you can kind of go up the ladder. Lord, I'm trusting in the provision that my job provides because you provided me the job and that's me trusting you. That's fair. But that's different than I'm trusting in myself because I've accomplished this. You'll notice when some crisis has come to characters in the Bible, one of the first things they do, the good ones anyway, is they go right to the Lord and pray. A lot of times we're scrambling. Okay, what do we got to do? Let me get out the checklist. Let me get out the spreadsheet. Let me get out what I know how. Hey, hey, hey. Trust God. And whatever that looks like. That doesn't mean inaction. Sometimes that's deliberate action. But we need to Trust the Lord, stay faithful in our trust. It's easy to trust ourselves or provision. Remember Psalm 20 verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And we must train them and teach them, "Hey, Lord, you can do this, and we're going to pave the way, right? And so it doesn't look like it does in the South, and it doesn't look like it did in the '50s and the '60s and the '70s, and it doesn't look like it in the first Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening. it doesn't look it like that, but we're going to trust you anyway tonight. Uh, we're going to look at Daniel, and they're going to make a law that says Daniel can't pray, and, God, and Daniel's going to pray and just trust God. He didn't have any other choice. And sometimes your difficult circumstances are the best training ground for your children and you to see trust. And right now is the perfect environment for the world to see churches trusting God. What will you do in this pandemic when they try to shut you down? What will you do, church? And we don't have to have an elaborate answer. Here's our answer. We're just going to do what we've always done and trust God. We're just going to keep on serving, whatever that looks like. The world sees and says, what are they doing? Now, a lot of them are doing all kinds of different things. A lot of churches are doing all kinds of different things. But as for me and my house... We're just going to keep on marching. No matter what bad things happen, that doesn't shake us. We just keep on marching. The wind comes, the storm comes, the shipwreck comes. We trust. So we stay faithful in our trust. Number four, stay faithful in your priorities. Look at verse 13. I'll, I'll, I'll go quick. Verse 13, the Bible says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in in, uh, Massa. So he says, "Stay faithful in your priorities. Moses says, hey, listen, when you get to the promised land, you're going to be confronted with other gods and other opportunities, and and they're going to pull at you, and they're going to vie for your affection, and they're going to vie for your attention, and they're going to vie for your heart, and they're going to vie for your worship. Don't do it. Keep God at the first of your priorities. This ties back into the love part, but this is a reminder. I'm just going with what the text says. If he repeats a kind of concept, we repeat a kind of concept. So the first one was to keep Faithful in your affections and your love. Now it's keep faithful in your priorities. Where are your priorities? Hey, listen, I can't judge anybody else. I don't know anyone else's circumstances. But here's what you'd want to evaluate. How faithful are you in attending church and and worshiping and serving? How faithful are you in the Word of God in self and in family? How faithful are you in the Word of God in teaching? Where's your priorities? What's the most important things in your life? If I were to ask your children or the people close to you, what are the most important things? Give me the five most important things in their life. Now, we'd all cliche, oh, God. But no, what would it really say? Would it say God at one? Or would God be in that mix? Or maybe God not at all. Oh, I didn't even know they, he loved God. What would your coworkers think? When David's right in his prayer. Idols are so readily available in our lives. And, and, and sometimes it's not about bowing down to Buddha. Sometimes it's just about our schedule and our time and where we've allowed it to go and for it to be our idol rather than our priority set with God. Now we know that Israel is going to have a really hard time with this, a really hard time. Because they're not going to push anyone out of the promised land. And their children are going to start going after all these other gods. And we're going to have this whole mess in the book of Judges. And, and where, where there's this big cycle of God of bringing affliction. Because they left him and started following other gods. And for the rest of the entire Old Testament. We're going to find these, these wanderings to other gods. Their priorities never stayed straight. Never. Captivities came. And it was only after post-captivity that it seemed to get right. And then when the New Testament opens up, we have them all in this legalistic religion. Listen, friend, keeping our priorities straight is, oh, so difficult. That's why we got to keep, or constantly recalibrate them. Look and say, okay, are they right? Are they aligned rightly? So keep faithful in your priorities. Number five, stay faithful in your obedience. Look at verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it might be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. The command here is, hey, listen, stay faithful in your obedience. Stay faithful in that area. Moses knew that if they were going to pave the way if they were going to pass the baton, if they were going to make the nation to be what it was, if they were going to have their children follow in their steps, then they had to stay faithful in their obedience and in their purity. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means, hey, listen, I'm going to strive. Be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to strive to honor the Lord in these areas. I'm going to strive to do right, no matter what. I'm going to strive to obey God. When I fail, I get back up. By the way, Part of the obedience is this, conf- if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives our sins and cleanses us from all, all unrighteousness. Your, your kids and society and the church doesn't need to see perfect Christians because that's a pretentious fake. What they need to see is people who fail, get back up humbly, confess it to the Lord, receive forgiveness, and be restored. That's what they need to see constantly. They're not looking for perfection. because That's fake but we want to strive for obedience. And part of that obedience is getting back up, apologizing to the people that we've, that we've offended, uh, our children even, our spouses even, other church members even. But I'll tell you this, if we want to pave the way, then we've got to be obedient. Churches that leave trying to honor the Lord in obeying doctrine, and obeying the Scriptures, they might still have the name church years later, but let me tell you a secret. They're not a church. Just because a thing has a name on the outside doesn't mean God sees it as that. You've got to stay faithful in your obedience. Number six, stay faithful in your endurance. Stay faithful in your endurance against the enemy. Look at verse 19 now. It says, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. He says, I want you to go there and, and cast them out. So they go in there, right? And they go in there, charge, let's push out all the enemies. And they feel they realize this. Man, this is going to take a long time. Guess when you're going to have full victory over the devil? When you get to heaven. So guess what? It's exhausting because he's going to attack. And when you get a victory over this stronghold today, guess what he's going to do tomorrow? Attack again. Maybe he gives you a day break, and then he comes again and he comes again. It's exhausting and it's tiring and you want to give up. I think of some of the mighty men of David and the one who had to fight off 300 Philistines and he wanted to let go of the sword, but the Bible said he claimed to the sword and God gave him the victory. I mean, he wanted to give up. His hands were hurt and he just wanted to give up. Do you know how many times the devil's going to attack you with the temptation? Hey, listen, if you just give up, it'll be easier. If you just give in, it'll be easier. Stop fighting. It's exhausting fighting. Most people go astray, not because they want to go astray, because they just get tired of fighting. So we run this marathon. Now, if you said right now, you know, sometimes you hear this, from couch to 5K, and I'm still like, yeah, okay. Um, now maybe that's you, I'm not offending any of you runners. My sister like run like she's got like one of those things she could just run from here she lives in Washington. She could from here to home and she wouldn't stop because she's insane. But if you told me run a marathon right now, I'd be like, No. No. I won't make it, I'll die, and I don't want to. How many people don't want to run marathons here? Thank you. A couple of you. Is anyone that wants to? Let me see the like, you know, super fit. I want to run a marathon. You could be okay. It's okay if you want to. I won't judge you. But guess what? We don't have a choice. We're paving the way. So it's tiresome. Why can't our church be like? How come our family can't be like? How come we don't get to have? How come they get to? Pave the way. Endure. 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 But it gets tiring. I fail. Get back up. Someone else failed against me. Forgive them. Uh, I don't want to anymore, I know, just do it anyway. Sometimes when you, let me give you a hint, sometimes when you don't want to is the best time you should. And I don't mean bad things, I mean the times you don't want to read the Bible, that's the best times too. The times you don't want to go to church, that's probably the time you're going to hear something that God has for you. Those wants, sorry, I got to stay faithful in my endurance, which means don't give up, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Number seven, stay faithful in your praise. Now look at verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee, in time to come, notice that, when your child asks, later on, saying, what mean the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then shalt thou say unto them, then shalt thou say unto thy son, 'We we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt, with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders and great sore upon Israel upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us stay faithful in your praise here's what I'm here's what I'm meaning by that when one day when someone asks you why do we do this why do we go to church let me tell you all that God's done for me. This is why we go to church. I don't go to church because I have to. I go to church because God died for me, and He gave up His only begotten Son to die in my place, that my wretched soul could be saved. And then I, mean, I want to serve Him with my whole life. Look what He did for me, and I'm going to be uh, you know, busting chops, I'm going to be aggravated, I'm going to be complaining about serving Him just a little bit of my life. God's been awesome. Why do we pray? Because I need God's help and provision and guidance. Why, why do we sing songs? Because we want to sing about God. Why do we have uh, the, 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 the group up here singing and singing hymns and, and doing all the music It's just because that's what churches do. I hope not. We do it because God is worthy and we want to praise Him. But sometimes we forget that we go You got to stay faithful in your praise. faithful. Last night as we are watching the Buffalo Bills game, see, I got it again. You can tell who was really a a fan and who wasn't. Fans were going crazy. They were excited. They wanted to be there. It was five degrees, six degrees below zero wind chill. If you were there, you wanted to be there. But every once in a while, you'll see fans like, you know, Do you ever go to, I went, you know, Mets fan too, so you should shake my hand after and hug me and feel bad for me. So I've, I've at times went on, like, StubHub or, like, SeatGeek and bought, like, good tickets. And you're sitting down there amongst all the corporates, and no one's paying attention. They're all like, blah, 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 stock, blah, 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 investment, blah, 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 next client. And I'm like, yeah! And they're like, you can tell who's really a fan. The same is true in church. Now, now we're not judging anybody, but if our heart's not in it, it's known. So we stay faithful in our praise. Last one. Stay faithful in these areas even though you may never see the full end result. That's the clincher. You stay faithful in all these areas. And we went through seven of them, right, plus this one, about our love and about our obedience and and about our endurance and all the like and our praise. And we stay faithful even if we don't see the result. We're talking about paving the way. What that means is this, sometimes as parents, you're raising your kids for the Lord, and you're like, is this even working? We don't know. We'll see. Here's how you'll know. When you're gone, and they're still serving the Lord. Will you ever get to see your great-grandchild who's serving the Lord in missions, or great-great-grandchild who's, who's a, a wonderful servant of God in His church? I don't know. You won't see it here but you paved the way anyway. Will the Northeast ever be the haven of spiritual revival? I don't know. Will there ever be churches in every community that are preaching the gospel rightly? I don't know. But we keep faithful in these areas to pave the way of a result we may never get to see. We're not being pragmatic here. We don't do it. Because the ends justify the means. We don't do it because we get to see the end. Abraham got to see the land, and then he said, But not in your life. David said, I'm going to build a temple. God said, You're going to get the money to build a temple. And and Moses said, I'm going to go in the promised land. Not you. Sometimes we pave the way and it's hard. And the storm comes. And the bear and wolf of the promised, you know, of of the barren westward expansion land come and, and somebody robs us and somebody hurts us and, and the devil wants us to give up but we keep on why because it's not about how we feel it's not about right now it's about paving the way for the next generation it's about paving the way for the legacy that we will leave it's about leaving back a mark that we're not giving up no matter what or keep on going on and we're going to see churches started we're going to see our family raised for the lord and we're going to see our grandchildren our son's son serve the lord because of what we do now, that we never get to see the end result. So we realize now, church is not regular. Serving God's not regular. This is a, a, a marathon of a race that we can't afford to give up on. Pave a way. So you don't have to answer this, but I want you to answer this in your heart. Who is with me in pioneering in our area, in our families, in our churches to make sure there's still a church going on, maybe even more generations down, that our family we don't that's, that fire doesn't go out, that we keep on keeping on. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Maybe you've been saved, and you're like your great-great-great-great-grandfather was the first preacher in America. or Maybe you just got saved three weeks ago. Wherever you are, the battle cry is still the same. Keep on keeping on. And we don't give up, and we pave the way. Sure, go down the south, you can see churches of a 1,000. I know a church. That's not even a, it's not a megachurch by any stretch. I mean, they they don't tickle ears here. They preach, boom. And they give over a million dollars to missions. They're in Oklahoma City. They give a million dollars to missions every year. That is incredible. We don't have that. We don't have that facility. We don't have those people. We don't have that, all of that. It doesn't matter. We're not comparing it to that. We're paving ways. We keep on keeping on. Father, I pray in this time, now that you work in our hearts, help us to be faithful for what we have, to endure, to not give up, and it starts with our love for you. Help us in this time of reflection and invitation. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, let me ask you this question, and then I'm going to ask a kind of more generalized question concerning the message, and then we'll we'll pray together. Can I pray for you about your soul? If you were to die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If there's any today here that does not know for sure they're going to heaven when they die, can I pray for you? Is there one like that? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? God bless you. I see your hand, too. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. God bless you. I see your hand. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. Is there anyone else like that today? God bless you. I saw your hand. The Lord saw it and the Lord knows and knows what you, whether you need to be saved or assurance or whatever the case may be. Let me ask you this now, generalized question. Out of those reminders that we face in Deuteronomy, actually, I'm going to ask you a third question. And let me ask this question first. God putting something else in my heart. How many people here, as a testimony before the Lord, have a desire to grow where they're planted, to pave the way, if that's what God calls them to do, To pioneer, even if it's a struggle, that the next subsequent generations would have something. If that's your heartbeat, that you're willing to answer that call, would you raise your hand if you say, that's it, I'm willing to pioneer and keep on keeping on? Okay, many hands, many hands. That means, you know what, at home, Dad, you might struggle, that your kids might have it better. It's That kind of mindset, spiritually. Now let me ask you this third question. This is the general one that I was going to get to. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, out of that list that we just went over today, There are some areas that the Lord spoke to me specifically that I need to get right with him or I need to get straight with him. Would you pray for me about those areas? Would you raise your hand if there were a few areas, one area? My hand's raised, too. There's some things in my life that I would like to be recalibrated, more fervent, fixed. My hand is also raised. I want you to pray for me. I see your many, many hands. Praise the Lord. We're going to stand together. Let's stand together, head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you want to talk to somebody about how to get saved, You can come meet me at the front. We'll take a man with a man, a lady with a lady, and we'll show you from the Bible how you can be saved. If you want to come pray for pioneering, you want to pray for endurance, you want to pray that God would would do something in our generation or in generations to come, you come. If you want to pray to get something straightened out, why don't you come? As the piano plays, why don't you use the front just as a time of dedication prayer before the Lord? People have come. You wouldn't be alone. Maybe you've never come forward just to pray unto the Lord. I challenge you to try it. It's not some mystical thing. It's just a time of really consecration where you step out of your comfort zone, get before the Lord, and just pray before him. You talk to him just like you talk anywhere else. God doesn't need you to be up here to hear from you. But it's a great place to be to consecrate. I don't know if you were picking up on it today. I'm not talking about regular church. I'm not talking about, let's just go through the routine. I'm talking about everything opposite that, my friends. I'm talking about, like, severe. I'm talking about, like, hanging in there when everything is, is falling apart. I'm pretty sure that God, I'm not. I'm pretty sure I know. If you're here today, God has called us for such a time as this. Uncharted waters. And guess who he has here? You. That doesn't say so much about you as it does about God in you. But everything right now is, is meaningful and, and powerful and important. We don't have time to mess around. there's still people praying all this is only done because of God's grace in us. We are just a mess of sinners, but Christ in us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for working in our hearts. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the reminders. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would allow us to pave the way. There'll be bouts of joy and, and victory, Lord. There'll also be times of struggle and desolation, But we keep on keeping on paving the way. Lord, I pray, Father, you'd work out each individual life, each individual family, each individual moving of the spirit in their lives. And, Father, I pray, Lord, what needs to be worked out would and what needs to be gotten right is. And, Father, for those that raised their hand concerning salvation, I pray that you continue to show forth your love for them, now that you died and they can call on you. And Lord, I pray now, Father, that for the refreshments and the time that we have together, and we pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen. Wait, before we go anywhere, I'm going to do something different. Can I have Glenn and Karen come, and can I have Karen come? Okay, and then can I have Mark and David come and Greg come? Okay, so let me explain why I'm doing this. You could shut this off if you want to shut this off real quick. So Glenn and Karen, um, I don't know them as long as many of you do, uh, but I know that they are a part of New Village Church, and they... I think, are getting their official close date on Tuesday, and they'll be moving to South Carolina. And Karen, uh, one of our members at New Hope, is going to Pensacola Christian College um, this week, and she'll be gone too. So it was just on my heart from the Lord that we would pray over them. This group here, I mean, I I don't want to make it too, too crowded. This group here, I want to pray over them and kind of send them off with our love and our prayer and support um, for that, Okay. Is that good? Is that fair enough for you guys? Okay, so why don't you got to come to the middle, and um, you could just like lay a hand on, and, and I'll pray over. And if you feel led to pray, um, the men that are up here, why don't you pray? I'll start, and then, um, Greg, why don't you finish, okay? So then Mark and David can do it in, in the midst. Father, I pray now, Lord, as we come together, as we commission these to go, Lord, to South Carolina for the next chapter of their lives, I pray that you direct them to the right church, the right group, the right people, the right community. Father, thank you for their faithfulness here. And though, Lord, I don't know the whole track record of things, Lord, it it was a delight in my heart to be able to meet them and to see them. And, uh, Father, I I wish them well, Lord, and I trust them in your hands more than anywhere else. So, Father, guide them and direct them and protect them, and may you just nourish them on their journey. Lord, I pray for Karen um, Diaz, Lord, as she goes off to college to, to follow your will. I pray, Father that you'd protect her. Thank you so much for entrusting her into our lives for the last few years. And, Father, I pray that you would just use her as a trophy of your grace, Father, despite um, at-home difficulties and family situations. Father, um, a true trophy of your grace, Lord. Thank you so much for uh, just knowing how to reach people and using us to be able to love her. And, Father, for all the love she's given us and in our, in our church and our family. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just show forth your grace and honor. Um, And may she glorify you with all of her life. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.